1 Corinthians chapter 7, first seven verses. Let us read the Word of God and ask Him to teach us. <coughs> Excuse me. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, but because of immorality, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But this I say by way of conscience, not of command. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in his manner and another in that. Father, we come now understanding that you are the author of wisdom. Father, you are redeeming what is done. Father, we come now begging for your, your ways, your purposes to be the very soul of our being. Father, we come now to bow before your word. Father, master us. May it not be any individual that is seen, but Christ and Christ alone that is seen. Father, we come now to ask you to teach. We come now to understand more from what you have for us, for our good, your will, your purpose, to your pleasure, to your praise in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Last week we started this text. We began with verse 1 there concerning the things which you wrote. This is the Apostle Paul finally getting at the reason for the second letter. This is literally the second letter, and I apologize that I didn't explain that last week. 1 Corinthians is actually a second letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. Then he wrote another letter. We do not have it, and then we have 2 Corinthians. So there are four letters written to the Corinthian church, two which we have. The one in the middle, I'd give anything and get my hands on uh, but for whatever reason, God said, no, I can't have that one, So, or nor can anybody else. So I want you to understand that this is what he's dealing with. Up until this point, all he has dealt with is what was on his heart. In chapter 12, he will pick up his stuff again. So from 7 to 11, he will deal with the concerns that the Corinthians were about. One, marriage. Okay, that was their first concern. And marriage was a mess. I want to pick that up again because last week we looked at this. There were four basic types of marriage that existed in the city of Corinth. Okay, you have to understand this is a Greek culture under Roman authority. All right, there was four ways people could end up being married. One is tent companions. This is slaves. The slave owner says that you are allowed to sleep with this one and to stay in the tent with this one. Uh, but if you make me mad and I decide to sell you, both of you or one of you, even to opposite ends of the earth, that is my prerogative. But you would be constituted as man and wife. 
Two, there is a thing called a common law of marriage. I'm not going to get back into the Latin because I can see that everybody was thrilled with that. So the common law of marriage is after a year uh, of living together, you basically could consider yourselves man and woman. Okay, the third one is what is called uh, an arranged wedding or what basically was a financial wedding. And it was the father would decide um, how much he would take for his daughter. And in that process, uh, that could be an arranged wedding, and that was honored before the Roman government. But then there was the noble wedding, uh, which the Roman law had given. It was for those who really felt special about what they were doing. Your wedding vows are based on that one, the ring on the third, or the ring on the third finger of the left hand. Uh, Romans had figured out that the nerve in the center of that finger goes straight to the heart. And therefore, if you put a ring around there, anytime somebody got mad, uh, they'd have heart pains. I don't know how that all, I don't know what the theory was behind it. But there was a nerve that went on that finger. Uh, the veil, the flowers, the cake, all comes from a Roman um, tradition. It was adopted by the Catholic Church during the Reformations. They didn't feel like it was that big a deal, so they passed it on. Okay? In this mishmash of society, now listen, those are the four basics. I can give you more. Okay? It was not uncommon for divorce, uh, a person to be, be divorced on the average of 20 times in a lifetime. Uh, there is record of over 40 times, and it was not uncommon for a person to document their years by the number of divorces that they had had. All right, so that's the society that the Corinthian church was in. There was another thing. I, I saved this. I was going to share it last week, but I could tell you weren't ready. So I'll share it with you today. There was what I call a feminist rebellion. Okay. I would even call it rabid, okay? It would make what you know as feminism today look peaked. <clears throat> In a book I read called The Daily Life in Rome, I quote, Alongside the heroines of the aristocracy, the irreplaceable wives and the excellent mo mothers found within its ranks easily an easy sight to emancipate or rather unbridled wives invading their purposes, who evaded the duties of, maturity for the f of maternity for the fear of losing their good looks. Some took a pride in being behind their husbands in the sphere of activities and vie with them in tests of strength which their sex would have seemed to forbid. Some were not content to live the lives by their husband's side, but carried on another life without him, whether because of voluntary birth control or because of, in, uh, of poverty or impo at the impoverished stock. Many Roman marriages at the end of the first and the beginning of the second century were childless, unquote. Okay? Juvenile, a writer... Uh, uh, of a thing called the Sixth Satires. Please don't ask me why I know all this. It's just a, all right. Juvenile, anyway, in the Sixth Satires, writing on, on Rome in the first century. Actually, B.C. first century. Here we go. Ready? I quote, Women are quitting their embroidery. They are stopping their readings, are stopping their songs, 
to put their efforts into competing with men. They are rushing into law, into politics, into history. This would seem a great intellectual movement among women. Unquote. Here's what else he says. And you will hear this. I've quoted it. Uh, Socrates made the same thing. He liked Corinth. Corinth was a, a, a vacation haven. Okay. But you will, can kind of grasp where Socrates got this from. Juvenal continues to say, Spear in hand, breast exposed, they have begun to take up pig sticking. Unquote. They are not even afraid of chariot racing in men's clothes, and some have even taken up wrestling. Unquote. Now, Juvenal was not a saved man, okay? But he looked at this and said, this just ain't right. Interesting concept, don't you think? Here's what else he said. What modesty, this is a quote from Juvenal, what modesty can you expect in a woman who wears a helmet, hates her own sex, and delights in feats of strength? Thus, does she lord it over her husband? Truly, before long, she vacates her kingdom. She flips from one house to another, wearing out her bridal veil. Unquote. Now you understand why divorce was rampant. Another quote from Juvenal. Demanding to live their own lives wouldn't be long. Men will let them. And it was commonplace. Heartily cheered. Discard those women. Unquote. Interesting society. That's what church in Corinth was in, don't you think? Sound familiar? Okay, what do you do? What do you do if you're at church? And here you have four major kinds of marriages. Okay, what happens if you've got a wonderful couple that is teaching your Sunday school class and has nursery oversights and the owner sells the spouse? What do you do? What do you do if you have a couple who is active in your, your class in, in Sunday school and is evangelizing, bearing much fruit, and you find out they've never been married? They've lived together and have taken on the same names. What do you do if they've taken on uh, an oath of noble marriage and yet multiple times have been divorced? You know what it sounds like? Church in America. I'm still not sure about the bare-breasted pig stickers. I'm, I'm, I can honestly say I haven't seen any of those. Uh, and I'm sure that something like that would have caught my eye. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure why. So the picture of marriage is at least to say a very confused thing. So now you understand in verse 1 why the apostle says, ah, concerning things which you wrote. I need to take you back just a little bit and quickly because I want you to understand some stuff that I deal with as a pastor today that you deal with as a child of God today. Verse 18 of chapter 1 says this, The word of cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the foolish, made foolish the wisdom of the world? Here's what happens. Every single one of you come in with uh, 
your wisdom, your philosophy of wherever you are in your life. What happens when your philosophy crashes against the cross of Jesus Christ? I remember a time in my life that I refused to teach the book of Titus. Why? Should I read the text that would uh, put my life in danger? You read it. Why? Because we have in our mindsets, this is okay, this is okay, this is okay. What if it's against the wisdom of God? Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, I came, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. The literal manifestation of God is the word there. I was determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What's your single greatest emphasis? Verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message... And my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. How many of you struggle with that this day? I would say that I have not met one of you in this fellowship who do not struggle with it. Most of the the uh, complexities that your life has right now that are in conflict with the Lord Jesus Christ is just flat out your wisdom, your understanding, your logic crashing head on into the things of God. And that is your battle. All that is in the world, all that is the wisdom of man... Every single person brings that into the kingdom of Christ. Everyone has a perception that their wisdom has an understanding of their logic, their intellect. And they bring all of that into the bride of Christ, the body of the living God. So you put that in the church. You put the mess of marriage in the church, and I can easily see where a person would proclaim singleness as easier. Absolutely. Gentlemen, you who are married, have you ever tried to explain something to your wife that, and for whatever reason, they just did not understand it? <laughs> None of them are admitting to it. They can look at her face. I ain't saying nothing. She can hit me. See, my wife is up here, and I, she can't hit me. So she can throw something at me. All right. Women, we'll go this route. Women, have you ever tried to share something with your husband and he didn't get it? We see, now we know the braver sex, don't we? The men. All right. Have you ever asked a guy, do you think these curtains or this rug or this would look good in my house? What is the man's response? Are you talking to me? <laughs> I think it looks wonderful. And it's still today. I see people prop- propagate singleness. I see pop- people propagate marriage uh, as if there is some spiritual ramification to one to the other. Um, and yet, you who are single, I gave you last week Psalm 68. Six, God sets the solitary into families. 
Okay, the Apostle Paul understands this in this text here. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. The word touch there I laid out quite extensively. I gave you Old Testament picture of it. I gave you New Testament picture of it. It has to do with the, the uh, uh, embracing something to sway it, to change it. It literally has to do with um, sex. And if you think about it, sex embraces and changes. Okay? Um, and he says, it is good not to do that. Okay, well, wait a minute. What if you're married? Well, he'll deal with that. And that's not the question that it is at our hand at this time. Uh, he says, it is good to be single. It's not a bad thing to be single. It's not a second class thing. It's not wrong. You know what? It is absolutely, positively, if you don't get anything out of this message, it is nothing to concern yourself over. If you are single, is what the Apostle Paul says. Why? Then we'll move into verse 2. Verse 2, because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. Okay? Being single, to marry or not, it is good, but it is tempting. Here in verse 2, he, I like the word own there. Why? Because <laughs> I know some who don't want their own <laughs> okay and the other thing own implies one okay if I have my own wife it doesn't mean my own couple of wives alright um, the Corinthians society made it difficult to be unmarried because of purity if you would back up I'll give you uh, Corinthians 6, uh, 14. Now, God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of, the pro of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins the Lord joins himself to the Lord as one spirit. Therefore, what should you do? Verse 18 gives you an idea. Flee. It has nothing to do with a small insect. It has to do with rapid leaving the area. Okay? He's not saying here that marriage is an absolute demand for everybody. I really want you to grab a hold of this, all right? Because I want you to understand your society is hounding you, is blasting you by temptations um, daily, moment by moment by moment, and it is unrelenting. And you know what? I even see we have a few single in this church, and I watch you blessed married people believe in your heart that you need to direct this person to a spouse. Are you really helping the situation? I mean, I have witnessed some Christians' marriage that would break anybody of ever wanting to be married. Why do we believe in good conscience that I should direct your path to another single individual? Why would we do that? He's saying there is a norm here. Okay? A lot of people will use this text to see the norm would be marriage. No, the norm is to have physical desires. That's the norm. 
All right? So what does the Apostle Paul say? Because of immorality, immorality get married? You can tell he's single. He's got a heck of a high view of marriage, doesn't he? Well, if you're burning with desire, you better go find one. Right? Hey, there's a man, <laughs> you know. Um, everybody can't be single. You're going to get into immorality. Uh, you better get married. And I've seen people preach this text that way, and it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. There is a norm of physical desires. Um, uh, I, I like to hug people. Okay, it's just the way I am wired. All right, I enjoy it. Um, I like kissing Brandon's head. Okay, it's just the, the top of his head. It's just, it fascinates me. Okay? But I'm not going to give you a biblical command that we all walk by and kiss Brandon on the top of the head. So let me ask you a question. Should I seek to get married because I have a desire for physical intimacy? Is that a reason to get married? You know what? I know three couples who did. All three of them divorced. You know what's sad about it? All three couples were born again, uh, bearing fruit, had been used in the kingdom of God. But they had a desire. They had a physical desire. And it is obvious that physical desire did what? Took precedent in their life. And they believed that should I have this, I will what? Be more adequate for ministry? Is that truly what we believe? Hmm. So with that thought there, because of immoralities, each man should have his own wife and each woman, I want to give six biblical reasons to marry. Six biblical reasons to marry. And I want to share with you something. It isn't the best out of six. You know what? I don't care if you find somebody and you've got five out of six. Don't marry them. Okay? If you're already married, <laughs> oh well. <laughs> the Lord has prepared your heart. All right? The first one, very evident, purity. Purity. That's what we're looking at here in verse 2. Verses 14 and 15 we looked at in chapter 6. Keep you from being overwhelmed by sexual desire. Purity. Get married. If you're overwhelmed by sexual desire, please get the other five. Okay? Please get the other five. All right? Please. All right? It is... As singles are tempted by what they believe they are missing that they perceive in married people. I see people who say, well, I'd give anything to have a child. Really? Have you ever had children? No. What makes you think? You know, I, I listen to my wife, and I, and I love all of you. My wife has bore my children, and I praise, sometimes I praise God for that. All right? But I want to share with you something. All right? My wife, and, and I hear women saying that, you know, w women can take more pain because they have childbirth, that birthing experience. And that pain is so massive, a man couldn't take it. Let me tell you something. How, if you have a long birthing time, 48 hours, 
Let's have a real long birthing time, a week. I'm in birth pains for a week. Doesn't compare for that next 18 or 19 or 20 or 21 years that the father will suffer. And heartache, in pain, in grief, in sorrow, and they tell me there's happiness. I think they're lying. All right? I see single people who believe what a child. I have several. Which one would you like? I, I, I don't understand that. I don't understand that. If you believe that this is to keep you from this impurity, that this is something that you're needing, um, come talk to me. Okay? Singles are tempted by it. Don't get me wrong. I understand the temptation. Okay, we are bombarded. I remember years and years ago, women in scantily clad selling tools. And I never did understand that. I could look at that woman and says, you ain't got any idea what tool you're holding. You don't know what it's used for. You don't know that it can slip and bust your knuckle. Okay, because I could tell if you knew what that tool was for, you wouldn't be dressed like that. Okay. So we have a society that inundates us to stir this desire. So part of it is that we marry for purity. Second reason to marry. Uh, I really want you to go to this one. This is Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Um, I've been uh, (laughs) doing my stuff for uh, Olfords, and he's a literist. What is that? Is that that word? Literist? Huh? Literalist? No, that's right. We're, we're, alliteration. There it is. So I got P's today. First, purities. Two, picture. All right? Marriage is a picture. Chapter 5, verses begin there at verse 1 and 2. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up. For us, an offering, a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Okay, beginning in verse 3, he gives you a contrast there. Do you see the picture that he is beginning there? What? Be imitators of God. See, this is where we miss this text. We have delineated this text. We have this little part of chapter 5. We've got this little part of chapter 5. That ain't the way it was written in the original Greek. Original Greek, it's the world's longest run-on sentence. Okay? But he has to change his thought. He never changed his thought. Why? He says, I want you to be imitators of God, beloved as children. How does that look? He contrasts it. Then at verse 14, he says, for this reason, it says, awake, sleeper, arise and arise from the dead and Christ will shine in you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Redeem the time, he says. Buy back that precious moments, he says. Verse 16, the days are evil. Redeem it carefully. Verse 17, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Anybody here ever curious about that? Okay, do you think it's something he hides? Yeah, I didn't think so. I want to understand what the will of the Lord is. Look what he says here. Do not be drunk on wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That's not a... 
What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, if I'm drunk on wine, who's in control? Okay, if I'm filled with the Spirit, who's in control? There you go. Okay, so um, if I'm doing that, what happens? It's easy. I speak to one another in psalms. You know what that is? Praises. It's not I'm quoting Psalm 119. Okay, psalms are praises and hymns. I love that. All right, some of you, I love to hear you sing. Others sing quietly. All right. Why? Because I want spiritual songs. Singing is making melody in your heart. Some of us need to make more melody in our hearts. Some of us need to be singing louder. All right? That is how you know. Why? There is a joy that is bubbling forth in everything that we do. Giving thanks for all things. But what the heck, Terry, has this got to do with marriage? Because, see, your Bible will have a break between verses 21 and 22. And the lexicon doesn't. If I am filled with the Spirit, my wife is filled with the Spirit, she will be subject to me as unto who? Who? The Lord Jesus Christ. All right, now let me ask you something, wives. When your husband gives you counsel on something, is your response, yes, Lord, or why? If you're filled with the Spirit, what is your response? Why? Because your marriage is a picture. Read on. The husband is the head of the wife. Okay, in case we're kind of fidgeting with this. And he says, let me give you a picture. Do you want to know what it looks like? As Christ also is the head of the church. Hmm. He himself being the savior of the body. Do you hear that, women? The illustration of your husband to you is that as Christ saved his body, the church, your husband has saved your body is the picture. Okay, if you're a single woman today, ask yourself, are you ready for that one? I got more that will offend Because that's what it's all about. Why? It's a picture. Why? The world will look at it and say, that's what I want. Look at that. Why? I want a woman who has submitted. Uh, There's more. Okay? I also want you to understand this. Women know your part, not your husband's part. Okay? Men know your part, not your wife's part. It's amazing when I meet with people. Well, my wife is supposed to submit, but what are you supposed to do? Well, I don't know, but she ain't submitting. Well, that's... Anyway. Um... Verse 24, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject, be to their husbands in what things? Everything. Okay? Now then that we got women all, you know, kind of looking at their husbands and husbands going, (laughs) verse 25, husbands love your wives. And the wives will jump up and say, see there it says I don't have to love you. (laughs) Nowhere in the Bible does it say I need to love you. And you're supposed to love me. (laughs) just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What a drag, eh? Sometimes I I always go back to lexicon in the original language. Is that exactly what he meant? You know what's a drag? Yeah, it is. Do you understand what that means, men? 
What did Jesus Christ do for the church? Not only that, he was innocent. He took on a separation from God the Father for the sake of the bride of Christ. I read the Apostle Paul saying, I would give up my salvation would Israel be saved. Men, would you be willing to lay your life on the cross for your spouse? What if you had were absolutely innocent and had no reason to be on the cross? Would you still do it? Interesting concept, isn't it? Why did he do that? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such things, but she would be holy and blameless. Husbands, we are dealing with our responsibility. Verse 28, so husbands ought also to love your own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. All right, gentlemen, you ready for this? A a whole plethora of icky sentimentalism. Okay? We like that part where it says, I'm going to wash my word, my wife, with the word of God. I get up every morning. I can't help she don't get up and hear my Bible study. But look what it says I'm supposed to do with her. I am to nourish her. I am to cherish her. Now we can make it really sticky. Wise, how's your husband doing? Do you feel nourished? Do you feel cherished? Do you feel washed? Do you feel that your husband would hang on a cross to bear the absolute weight of every sin you had on your behalf? Do you understand why Paul would say, I would have you stay as me? Interesting thought, isn't it? Verse... uh, 31, just in case you think that I'm trying to grasp at something that may not exist there, look what he gives you. Does that sound familiar? I believe it's Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, to be honest with you. It says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and run away. Flee. (laughs) Find a monastery. Hide forever. Actually, that's not what it says. He shall... Leave his father and his mother shall be joined to his wife and the two shall be one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is great. Let me tell you something. If you are single this day, you are now responsible with what I just gave you, male or female. This mystery is great. I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself and the wife must see to it that she respects. Literally means to honor. It literally has to do a fear, a reverence for her husband. This picture that you have drawn early in the book of Genesis chapter 2 is a picture of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross to create the image of the church that exists today so that we who are married, who are godly, who are God-fearing, 
two sanctified holy people, men and women, coming together will show the power and the picture of Christ and the majesty and glory and sanctity that the marriage is. Regardless if you were tent companions, regardless whether you were common law, regardless whether it was a financial arrangement, regardless whether it was a high honored, regardless of where you came from. Okay? Purity. Number one. Two is a picture. Number three. A partnership. Genesis 1.18. Please hear this, men. It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper. And then the literal translation is suitable for him. Suitable for him. Do you understand what that means? You don't have a slave. You have a partner. A partner. It is like if you were in business, you have a partner. You have a co-heir, Peter says. It isn't this person who takes care of the kids and the dishes and the trash and the dogs and whatever else that women seem to think or men seem to think women are for. You have an heir, a partner. The Ephesians text, verse chapter 5, remember what he says? You will nourish and you will cherish that partner. He will give you a friend. And I see a whole lot of Christian marriages today who don't understand that. Well, we're going to have some male bonding. Why? Well, you need friends. Well, I thought God gave you one. Why? He also tells that it was be suitable. That's what drives me nuts when people think that I, I need to be finding somebody. Okay? Or, you know what? Such and such is coming over to my house, and they're single, and I think this person should come and meet this single person. Do you believe that God needs your help to find the suitable match for this person? No. I mean, there's nothing wrong with looking around as long as you're kingdom bound and you're kingdom focused. But I watch people who get absorbed with what? Please don't tell me, well, I don't. That's not true. I've dealt with it in this body, I believe, as small as it is and as few single people as we have. Partnership. Am I willing to enter into a partnership that will only be for the lifetime? Look around at some of marriages. Some of our parents, we can look at our parents. Sometimes we can look at relatives, loved ones, and all the rest of it. Do they have these things? Well, they got married because they didn't want to be impure. Well, that's cool. Did they, how did they do with the uh, partnership part? Well, you know, he kind of lives his life, she lives his life, and we kind of got joint custody thing going on. Because I'm not even going to deal with picture. Because the picture is the picture of Christ and his church. All right, so that's three, four. This is the one that just will get me in trouble. Oh, well, I shall press on. Provision, provision. Told you. (laughs) Okay. Provision, chapter 3, 1 Peter, verse 7. Husbands, same way. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Tell me that ain't miraculous. As with someone, well, that's what Look what it says here. As with someone weaker. That God was a chauvinist, wasn't he? God wants man. Well, I wrote this down, and when I wrote it, 
I kept thinking, Lord, you're not telling me to say this. All right, I wrote it down. God wants man to provide what a woman needs, period. Needs. (laughs) I'm trying to keep myself out of hot water, men. Needs, not wants. Needs. Why? She's weaker. She's weaker. Someone weaker since she is a woman, Peter says. I cannot believe Peter said that. I can't believe Peter had Jesus heal his mother-in-law. Okay? So, I mean, you you can all have the things that you stumble on. The thing I stumble on is that one. I, listen, this is what the Bible says. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir. The weaker there means that the vessel is weaker. Okay? She's weaker. She cannot lift as much. She cannot bear as much. She cannot withstand as much. Listen, I've heard all of the things. Women can stand more pain. Absolutely impossible. God says you can't. Women can withstand. No, God says you can't. God says physically, emotionally, women are the weaker vessel and men have been given to women to protect them and to provide for them because God said you are the weaker vessel. That vessel that God has given is a joint heir. You better understand that, men. They are as qualified in the eyes of God as you will ever be. They are a weaker vessel. Okay, they are physically weaker. But the qualifier is they are a joint heir. They are your equal spiritually. Okay, God knows a man can support the weakness of a woman. Why? Remember 29 of chapter 5 of Ephesians, why? We are to nourish, you know what that really means? Feed her. <laughs> Make sure she has food to eat. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand that. I, you know what? Men, if you haven't got a job, go get a job so your wife can eat. Do you understand that? Feed them and cherish them. Cherish them. Okay? So we provide for them. We got them now. Purity. What was number two? Picture. Partnership. Provision. I'm going to strengthen her. I'm going to give her something to lean on. I, you, know what my, you know what my responsibility to my wife is? To fortify her. If she needs something to lean on, she needs to come lean on me. Okay? Fifthly. Fifthly, are you ready? Pleasure. Marriage is designed for physical pleasure. I have seen some marriages that weren't. (laughs) Well, I could just look at the two of them and say, they're not pleased with one another. (laughs) So if you're not pleased with one another, you're not having pleasure. Um, Hebrews 13, 4 says the bed is undefiled. Why? Marriage is honorable. And the bed is not defiled. And the marriage bed is a place of enjoyable. It's enjoyable. You can have fun. It's an experience. I'm going to get in trouble. Here we go. I'm going to read the Bible because that way everybody gets mad at me. God wrote it. I didn't write it. All right. Well, Proverbs. You know, I taught this to our junior high class. My class just got smaller. 
Parents can say, what is he teaching my child? Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. There is a contrast that goes on here. I don't want to deal with the first part of it. And he's dealing with the woman. Stay away from the adulteress and all the rest of it because she's just going to cause your heartache, steal your soul and weird stuff like that. And then he makes this funny statement. I think it's a funny statement. Being married, I'm allowed to think it's funny. Okay, verse 15 of Proverbs 5 says, Drink water from your own cistern. (laughs) Okay, the illustration is stay in your own watering hole. Uh, And fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, springs of water in the streets? Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Uh, yeah, I'm going to read it. As a loving hind, a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you all the time. Be exhilarated always with her. I'm sorry, I read it. It says, you know what he's telling me? This is good stuff if you stay in your own watering tank. Well, that's what it is. A cistern, I got pictures of cisterns. And that's the picture that they used. And everybody's saying, he's walking home today, isn't he? It's a satisfaction of a husband, and he will find it in the physical body of his wife. Okay, pleasure. Um, Let me tell you something else. It's vice versa, too, ladies. Be satisfied with your husband and his sister. Okay, have you ever read the Song of Solomon? You know what that is? It's satisfaction from beginning to the end. You know what is weird about it? And I hear a lot of people try to put spiritual emphasis in it. You can't. It's physical. It ain't got nothing to do with Jesus and it's a picture of this. Yeah, you can see that, but I got news for you. He's talking about a woman. He's not talking about Jesus. He's not talking about bride. He's saying this is a woman and you need to hang with that woman. And if you look at Solomon's life, that's early in his ministry. At the end of his life, he writes Ecclesiastes. (laughs) And I'll let you guys read that one. Okay, so at the beginning of your life, it's Song of Solomon. At the end of your life, it's vanity, vanity, all vanity. Okay, I'll give you one last verse that I want to share with you. It's my favorite verse in all of Holy Writ when it comes to my precious bride. Verse 7 of the 26th chapter of Genesis. Don't look there. It has to do with Isaac and his precious dear wife, Rebekah. And the Philistine king is looking out the window and he makes this statement. Look, Isaac is sporting with his wife. Okay. Now, if you think that's volleyball or croquet or softball or something like that, go ahead. That ain't what the term means. <laughs> All I can think is Isaac do it in private. All right. So what do we have? Purity? Picture? Partnership? Provision? Pleasure? Procreation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 22. Be fruitful and multiply. You know why? It is especially good for godly people to reproduce. Why? There's just too few of us. Six biblical reasons to get married. Okay? But he says in our text, one reason. I've just given you six reasons. Now, I'm telling you, if you're trying to get married, you're thinking about getting married, or you're dating or wanting to date or something like that, if you can't get all five or all six... Don't do it. All right. If I can't find somebody, and I'm going to conclude with this, if I can't find somebody who meets the six biblical reasons for marriage, what do I do? How do I keep myself pure in a society that is equal to and working very diligently to surpass the Corinthian society? 
I thought you would never ask. If you're single today, this is how you will bring glory to my King and my God. And I tell you what, I, I, and I have, this ain't in my notes. If you need help, I'm here, and I'll do this. Guaranteed. All you do, come and ask me. You're on. Some of you have. One of you have. <laughs> anyway. Grace, mercy, peace of God, Father, Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience that way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Night and day. You're single. Do you have somebody who constantly remembers you in their prayers night and day? I will read on, longing to see you. Do you have somebody longing to see you? Even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. I'm sharing with you out of a last letter ever written by the Apostle Paul, which is the key book on discipleship. I will go on. Five, I am mindful of your sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. How do I know if you have a sincere faith? I don't care if you're single or married today. How will I know if you have a sincere faith? How do I go about seeing it? How? Fruit. Okay. But there's a key that I'm looking for here. What? How can I know if you have Sincere faith. I will see it, which would imply what? I will probably spend some time with you. If I spend an hour out of seven days with you, I will not know about your faith. Maybe a sincere faith. But if I see you but an hour, and in that hour's time, all I see you is sing, and uh, you watch your face as I preach, uh, I'm not going to know a lot about your faith. So when Paul says, Timothy, I know your faith and it's sincere, we know why. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. But join with me in the suffering of the gospel according to the power of God. What's the focus there? I'm holding you accountable. Why? I pray for you daily. You know what? I long to see you. I'm mindful of your tears. I know your heartache. I have spent so much time with you. I am intimate with you in your faith. I understand your faith. I know your pains. I know your suffering. I know your trials. I know your tribulations. Let me tell you something. Follow me. Follow me. Why? Because my focus is very simple. It's the suffering of the gospel according to the power of God. Why? Because he saved us, verse 9 says. He called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, that which we were granted us in Christ Jesus for all of eternity. Come with me. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. Come, come with me. Come with me. Verse 13. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who indwells you the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Have you got somebody investing treasure in you? Eternal treasure in you? 
And then are you taking what they're giving you and you're cherishing that as something very precious, very important in your life? The time that you have with a discipler should be the most important stuff in your life. It should be, it should, it should not take anything. I don't care what it is. Why? They are finding you faithful. They have seen your faithfulness and they are investing the very soul of their being in you. Chapter 2, 1 through 7. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know somebody comes along and tells you that? The things which you've heard in me, heard from me, and in the presence of many wisdom, and trust these things to faithful people, faithful men, whom you will whom will be able to teach others also. Are you taking what has been given to you by the person who cares for you so much that they're willing to pray for you night and day? They're willing to literally lay their life on the line for you? They're willing to pour themselves out as a living sacrifice, holy and pure to you? Are they willing, that single person who's literally taken this vessel and looks at you as a very sacred object and is infusing the things God has given him or her into you and you're just sitting there pouring them back in because he says, you know what? I see God taking you. The next place, the next place you will find faithful ones. And those faithful ones, you will pass on what you have been given. Listen, brothers and sisters, this doesn't have to do with single people. This has to do with every person who claims the name Christ. Suffer, with, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier in active duty, in active service, entangles himself with the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does it to win the prize. How many of you out here are winning the prize? How many of you are just running? How many of you are watching everybody else run? Do you see them people run? How many of you are in battle and have been taken prisoner? A hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive the share of the crop. Consider what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in all things. Remember Christ Jesus risen from the dead. Verse 15 of chapter 2. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Am I accurate in it? Am I diligent to it? Let me ask you a question. Remember our, our text in, in Corinthians, he says, you know, some say I'm of Apollos, and some say I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Paul. Hey, I'm of Christ. Are you taking the cherished supernatural teachers that God give you, or are you taking for granted? That's between you and him. Verse 20, large house. Not only gold and silver vessels, but they're also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some of honor, some of dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he'll be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. I love that. You know which good work that would be? <laughs> I'll just dig it. Which one? Every good work. How do I do that? God's way. Cleanse yourself. Why? Understand that God has put in your lives people who are there to infuse in you the things that God has given unto them. Flee youthful lust, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace for those who are called of the Lord, uh, with those who are called. That's an interesting phrase there. Flee, flee youthful lust. Do you know what youthful lusts are? Ask Matt. Uh, pursue righteousness. <laughs> Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. How do I do that? How do I pursue these things and flee youthful lust? With those who are called on the Lord from a pure heart. Why? With other Christians. 
There's a reason there's a body dynamic. There's a reason that God brought us together to be accountable. There's a reason that God says, I will put elders, men who are after my own heart, to have oversight over you. Heed them. Why don't we want oversight? Anybody here have problem with authority? I heard a murmur. Anyway. Refuse foolish, ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. Cleanse yourself. Chapter 3, 1 through 5. Realize in the last days, this book was written about 67 AD. You suppose we've hit last, last days yet? Difficult times will come. Has difficult times come? Ha! Huh. Let me describe to you the church in Castle Rock today. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, loving, ir- unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of prizes rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied the power. Avoid these men. That's the church today in America. Why? They were for among them are those who will enter the households and captivate weak women weighed down with sin, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. This is what I strive in my life to be my epitaph, the thing that I will be remembered for as I part this place. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort and with great patience and instruction for the time will come. I have written down here, the time has come when they will not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickled they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires desires is epi meaning it's overwhelming and they will turn their ears from truth and will turn aside from fables preach the word here's what Paul says verse 6 I'll just continue with the thought but you be sober in all things endure hardship do the work of evangelists fulfill your ministry I'm being poured out as a drink offering. My departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And in the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You know what the passion of my being is? To have people that I can teach and treat as Timothy was taught by Paul. You know what, and I, male or female, I'm not biased. I can show you gender neutral and all that other stuff that's in there. That's my passion. Why? What I've given, I want to give to somebody else. And I'll be honest with you, I'm a little bit on the greedy side. I would like to give it to a whole bunch of people as often as I can, as quick as I can, as fast as I can. Why? Just in case. How do I avoid, how do I avoid impurity? Let me ask you a question. Where's Timothy's wife? Why wasn't the Apostle Paul concerned about who he was dating? Hmm. 
curious thought, isn't it? Paul had a focus, a singular focus. I wrote here. What's your focus? What's your focus? Some of you are single in this room. Some of you are married in this room. What's your focus? My wife will tell you what my focus is. My uh, son will tell you what my focus is. Uh, My son that's in school and daughter who are in school, they'll tell you what my focus is. And anybody who spends a very small time with me will tell you what my focus is. But my passion is to infuse that focus to as many people as God allows me time. Why? I'm redeeming the time for the day is evil. Pray that all of you will grab that focus. Father, I give you the praise for this. Lord, uh, singleness is good. Father, singleness is tempting. And Father, those who would be single this day in this precious body, may they embrace the family that is around them. May they embrace the loved ones who are around them. May they embrace the love that is around them. Father, me first. May I eagerly embrace them. And Father, may I not be swayed left nor right, but take that as a great honor, privilege that you have given me. And Father, may others see it too and embrace and see it as the honor and the privilege. But Father, I beg you now, that I be faithful, that I be faithful to your praise, to your glory, in Christ and Christ alone, amen.